Every work team has moments of conflict and dysfunction. Sometimes productive conflict is a necessary part of wrestling through big ideas to get to the best possible outcome. But sometimes our teams become mired in conflict that is entirely avoidable because it's based in vastly different communication styles or different motivations and misunderstandings. Enter the Enneagram. The Enneagram offers not only self-awareness, but also curiosity and deeper understanding of others. I teach the Enneagram and consult with teams to improve their communication styles, conflict effectiveness, and self-leadership, all of which foster highly engaged and high-performing teams. During a recent team event, I heard over and over, this just makes so much sense when they looked around the room and saw who was fitting within each type. And now I know why this person asked so many questions or this depersonalizes some of the conflict we've been having because I can tell we're just coming from different perspectives. So now that we know where we are, we can see how we can get aligned. So if you're looking for ongoing support or simply considering an engaging introspective module for your team's offsite or event, let's talk. Reach out to the Nine Types team at hello at ninetypes.co or schedule a one-on-one consultation with me on my website, ninetypes.co. And now on to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Enneagram in Real Life, a podcast where we explore how to apply our Enneagram knowledge in our daily lives. I'm your host, Steph Byrne Hall, and today I'm going to be talking about Enneagram centers of intelligence. Now, this episode is actually in the audio of a YouTube video that I posted a couple of weeks ago about this topic, but I think it's really helpful because a lot of the time I encounter people who are maybe newer to the Enneagram who don't really know what I'm talking about when I say centers of intelligence. And I also noticed here on the podcast a few months ago that when I did the words of wisdom by Enneagram type, I based them on the intelligence centers and I got some questions like, why did you break them up like that? Why is three in the heart center, etc.? So I tackle all of those questions in this podcast episode, but you can also watch it on YouTube if you'd like. I'll leave the link for you in the show notes because especially if you're not that familiar with the Enneagram, you'll be able to see more of the visual way that this is laid out. But I also think this is helpful because a lot of the time when we talk about the Enneagram, you know, intelligence centers get somewhat ignored, especially if you're going one through nine. Like if you start with type one and you go all the way through to type nine, um, I think that it's simpler that way, of course, but the intelligence centers are really useful because we can start to see how our intelligence centers run our lives in a sense and how outsized those things are in the way that we go through our lives. So one early Enneagram teacher named Gurdjieff, um, who actually did not teach the Enneagram of personality, but he taught something called the fourth way, which is a a different perspective. It's really an inner work model. Um, It's kind of like the best way to describe it simply, but he basically said there are some people who really overdo the body, some people who really overdo the heart, and some people who really overdo the head. And the idea here is to bring them all into balance in a more effective and integrated way. So I think to do that, we have to start with knowing our intelligence center and where we're kind of seated in the intelligence centers to begin with. So in this episode, I teach the Enneagram in the way that I do typically when I teach in corporate, which is starting with type eight. And you might notice like on Instagram, I might kind of mix it up. I might start with two or five or I might go backwards. But when I teach in corporate, I always start with eight because over the years, 
I found that I can trust eights. One, when I say, hey, do you want to share about how this shows up for you? A lot of the time, eights are very willing to be transparent about how, how they see it show up. They're like, yep, this is me and this is how that comes out. And I've had this conflict my entire life where, you know, people think we're in a conflict and I don't, and it's really confusing for us. And I've also seen where eights say, you know what? I kind of am like questioning this. Like I'm kind of pushing back. And I really love that eights model. Hey, it's okay to push back. It's okay to kind of ask questions. It's okay to poke holes and we can talk about that. So I love that eights have that just sense of being bold enough to ask those questions and to say what they're really thinking. So that's why I love starting with type eight. And it sets a good template so that by the time we get to some types that have a little bit of a harder time talking about their internal experience, they are feeling a little bit more comfortable. Also, just a fun tip, if you happen to teach the Enneagram Incorporate or something like that, is I found it really useful to let nines know, hey, if you have a thought that comes up later, remind me, I'll come back and ask. And if nines are like, well, I'm, I'm afraid to remind you, <laughs> you know, they don't want to, they don't want to interrupt. Um, maybe I'll, I'll point to somebody else and say, Hey, remind me to come back to nines and ask again, just to give nines a little bit of time to process. And then let me know what they really think about how their Enneagram type shows up. Um, because I think that sometimes nines can feel caught off guard. They're just taking everything in and they haven't formulated their own thoughts yet. And I love to actually hear from them. And I want everyone on the team to hear what a valuable contribution the nines have to give. So that's why I teach it in this order. And I found it to be really useful. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. And I hope if you are interested in seeing it a little bit more visually, you'll check it out on YouTube. And I will see you again here next week. I have a really awesome episode with an Enneagram 6 coming your way. Today, we're going to be talking about why people on Instagram seem to post the Enneagram types out of order. Welcome or welcome back to my channel. I'm Steph and I talk about the Enneagram and any adjacent things, but today is going to be a straight up Enneagram because I'm going to give you a little bit of Enneagram 101, something you might need to know if you are interested in this and really want to use the Enneagram as a tool for inner work or for your personal and spiritual development. So if you have followed me on Instagram or other Enneagram teachers, you might have seen that it's not uncommon for people to start with a type other than type one. So a lot of the time I notice that people get into the Enneagram, they take a quick assessment and they're like, okay, this is my type. And now I'm off to the races. And there's a lot that's missing when we jump straight to understanding our type. Now that's kind of where we all start, right? That's where I started as well. But what I want to show you today is a little bit of a way to kind of zoom out and get more information on your kind of positioning within the Enneagram system. So the Enneagram is a system, and that is one of the really cool things about it. There are a lot of intricacies. It's a very complex and dynamic tool. So I hope that it can be really useful for you, but that also means that there needs to be a little bit more explanation. So here we have the Enneagram, and when I teach the Enneagram, I typically start with type 8. Now, it, that might be confusing, again, because it starts with type 1. So like, why wouldn't you just teach 1 through 9? But that's because I teach by Intelligence Center. So if you look at the Enneagram, you zoom out a little bit, you can see the diagram. Eight, nine, and one are at the top, and they are in the body or gut intelligence center. Two, three, and four are in the heart intelligence center, and five, six, and seven are in the mind or head intelligence center. And 
in a lot of different areas of life, we kind of notice, oh, I have like mind, body, and heart, or um, mental, emotional, and physical well-being, these sorts of things. And the Enneagram really echoes that. And one of the very earliest Enneagram teachers, George Gurdjieff, actually talked a lot about how some of us tend to overdo one of the intelligence centers and how that brings up a lot of problems for us. And even though George Gurdjieff did not teach the Enneagram of personality, the way that we kind of think about the typology now, there's a lot we can still glean from the way that he he taught on this topic. So the intelligence centers are really useful um, to know for that aspect. And also, if you are a person who you think, I don't really see that, um, one, you might need to double check your type. I've come across a lot of people who think, oh, I am definitely not a heart type, and they turn out to be a heart type, um, or I'm definitely a, a head type, and they turn out to be a body type. So that happens a lot, um, and I see that a lot in typing interviews, but also it just might be something that you're not quite aware of yet. There are certain types that tend to be more aware of the force of their intelligence center in their lives than other types. So I will talk about that today as well. So first we have types eight, nine, and one. They're in the body or gut triad, and each of the intelligence centers has this underlying emotion and really core emotional expression. And while we all have all the range of emotions, there tends to be one that's more central or um, is kind of driving us more than the others. So for eight, nine, and one, it's anger, um, or sometimes it's termed as rage. And because anger is an emotion that we often use when we're trying to make boundaries or set boundaries with other people, these types also have a relationship with boundaries, control. They really like autonomy and they tend to be very interested in justice. Now, um, I will talk about type nine in a second because sometimes nines think I don't have boundaries at all. We'll get there. Um, but for type eight, uh, they tend to have this strong anger. And some eights actually tell me they don't really experience it like anger, like they're not mad at something, but they have a lot of passion or a lot of kind of lust or vehemence for life. And that can come across sometimes as that intensity or that can come across sometimes as just having a lot of high energy. Though with eights, it's not like they're out looking for a fight, but if there is something that needs to happen, somebody that they want to protect, or if they need to protect themselves, they're okay with kind of using a little bit of anger to set a boundary or to speak up to kind of confront an issue when it needs to be confronted. Then we have type ones who kind of do the opposite. So eights tend to push their anger more outward. It tends to be a little bit more kind of on the surface, but ones tend to really repress it inwardly. So they become self-critical and anger can seem more like resentment or really just frustration, but they often feel it's not really appropriate to express anger at all. And so ones you'll find a lot more of that tension held in their body or rigidity, things like that. And they can really have a hard time letting go and letting that loose a little bit because they think a lot about being conscientious and um, actually having those boundaries around how do I act appropriately. It's not necessarily for the image of, of looking good. It's more so for like wanting to be right, correct, appropriate, ethical at all times. And so they can tend to be pretty self-controlled in that sense, but no one has perfect self-control. So you can be a one even if you don't feel like you're like the most self-controlled person that ever existed. Let's hop back to type nine now. So nines actually tend to do this really interesting thing where they kind of fall asleep to their anger. And so they actually kind of have this internal boundary of keeping the outside world out, the inside world in, and they kind of create this cozy, comfortable space for themselves. And that's how boundaries kind of work for nines a lot of the time. 
where they just want to feel calm. They want to feel in harmony. Um, though a lot of nines don't have much of a problem standing up for other people. So you'll see a nine, you know, kind of speak up for somebody else before they'll speak up for themselves. So a lot of their work is actually about learning that they really matter and they have a lot to say and, and really valuable contributions to offer. All three of these types really move through the world instinctively, almost like a gut level. They sometimes will th say things like, I don't know how I know this, but I know. It's like a gut level knowing of the next thing to do, the next decision they want to make. Even sometimes they'll tell me, well, I knew I wanted to do this. So then I went and researched it to make sure that my research would validate what I was already deciding to do. Um, and so that's kind of one of the ways that comes across. And it's because they have that sense of intelligence that they can't necessarily explain. And in our society, we sometimes don't value that very much. But I think the Enneagram can be really validating and helping us to really experience and encourage and express these different types of intelligence beyond just, you know, what comes from the mind. Next, we'll talk about the heart center. So two, three, and four are in the heart center. And all of these three types have a relationship or this core emotion of sadness. And sometimes it's taught as shame, but I actually have found that learning more about the Enneagram and more about this particular experience, I think sadness really fits because all three of these types have concerns about image, identity, and relationships. And they're really focused on this sense of loss of their core identity in these different ways. And that creates a lot of sadness or mourning um, or grief. I think that's a really good way to describe it as well. And before you start to type a comment saying, I'm three and I'm not in the heart center, oh friend, I hear you. I'm also a type three. And the more you kind of just let things come up and the more you do this inner work, the more you'll actually resonate with all of the things about the heart center, even the things that kind of make you cringe. Because as one of my teachers, Beatrice Chestnut says, emotions are not aerodynamic. And that is just the truest thing that I've ever heard. But it's okay because as threes, part of our work is learning to be less aerodynamic as we move through life or less efficient. So let's talk first about type two. All three of these types have this subconscious focus on using their image or their projection of their image or identity to ward off sadness. So for twos, that looks like being helpful and lovable. And I, I want to emphasize the lovable or likable aspect more than the helpfulness, um, because sometimes that can lead us astray a little bit when we talk about the Enneagram. Twos are really thinking about like, do you love me? Um, and, and will you mirror my lovability back to me? So kind of how other people interact with the two often twos are like, okay, if they seem to like me or if they seem to want me around, that means I'm lovable or likable. And if they don't, oops. I got to do something else to make sure that I can uh, maintain that positive connection and positive relationship. This can be an incredible superpower for twos, but it can also be a real challenge that they have to work with and overcome as they want to grow to be more whole in themselves. And then we have type four and fours actually do something really interesting. So twos kind of um, projected outwardly. Fours kind of have this belief or this sense of, there is some sort of identity, true identity and authenticity that is deep within me. And I am 
always searching and looking for more of it. So it's very introspective. It's very much looking inward and can actually kind of turn into navel gazing um, in the sense of, of always being like, I know there's more there. And so it is really around that sense of image and identity. And sometimes they can feel like I'm missing something. There's something that is not quite lining up for me and I'm totally missing this. And so that can be a real challenge for fours. And they often project their image or their identity inwardly. They do it a lot, but also they kind of express themselves and they they give a little bit of, um, they want to make sure that other people are able to see like, this is what's different about me or this is what is like really special about me. Um, and that can be a main driver for fours. And then let's hop back to type three. So type three, as you'll notice with type nine, they kind of do the both thing. So threes have this sense of, they don't really know themselves very well. They're not really sure who they are or their identity. They think about it a lot, but what ends up happening is threes project an image outwardly or an identity that other people will like. Other people will think, oh, this is a really successful person, or this is a really high achieving person or whatever those things mean in that context. So it could be like, I am the best mom at mom's group, or I am the most perfect yogi in the yoga studio. Whatever those things mean, threes can really easily understand what it's like and they match it naturally without actually having to try it. But the image part comes in because then they start to believe I am the image that I project to the world. And so the sadness actually comes from that sense of loss, of not knowing the self very well. And that can take a lot of work to kind of claw back and reclaim as you go into your own inner work process. So just like eights, nines, and ones all have that anger and the autonomy and um, independence and, and all of those sorts of forces working together, twos, threes, and fours are always thinking about themselves in relation to others and to some extent, and they're always thinking about their own image and identity and, and really wondering about it. Sometimes they spend a lot of time wondering about what is their truest self? Who am I? Those sorts of questions. So with being in the heart center, there's also that sense of emotional attunement, kind of something we think about a little bit as emotional intelligence, but it's actually a little bit different because it's not always doing like the most emotionally intelligent or appropriate thing, but it is an ability to, to sense what others are feeling and having the feelers out all the time for how other people are feeling and what they might want to do in response to that. Finally, we have the head types uh, or the mind types, five, six, and seven, and their core emotion is fear. So they have this underlying fear that they each do something a little bit different with, as we've already seen, um, but they also do this thing where they really process things mentally. So that goes without saying when it's the head types, but they have a lot of focus on security and strategy as well as analysis. And I find a lot of head types, they think about the patterns they're seeing in their life, or sometimes they go to a new therapist and they are like, what is the model that you're using? And I need to understand this model. So they kind of pull it apart mentally and start picking apart things and, and puzzling through. And a lot of head types will say that they think in like flow charts or um, kind of mind maps where they are really focusing on thinking through things in a more structured way that I think the body types and heart types tend to. So that's one of the, the general, more general things about the head types. But for fives, their fear tends to be this underlying sense of, I will not have enough. I will de be depleted. And so they ward off that fear by really managing things around them. They make sure, okay, I'm not going to be intruded upon. I have this much privacy, this much space. I have all the information that I need to be competent and capable. And they really manage 
everything around them by making sure that they've always got enough. And one of the ways that they can also make sure they have enough is to decrease their own level of needs from the outside world. Then we have sevens who manage their fear by fleeing, right? So fives um, do that, the fear inward. So they use kind of that security strategy and make sure, okay, I am managing everything inside of me. And that is how I can make sure that I am not going to feel afraid because I will not be depleted. Then sevens do the opposite, which means they have like the security and strategy to flee outside. So they're like, oh, I'm not going to feel afraid because I always have these different and interesting things that I'm doing, or I'm doing something else, or I'm keeping my mind really active and stimulated at all times. And that can kind of be a way of not experiencing the fear or not experiencing the the suffering that that might actually be under the surface. And sometimes sevens are really unaware of this. And sometimes sevens will say, oh, I just kind of feel anxious, like a little jittery, a little on edge all the time. Or I feel like I always have to be doing something or else I, I can't be alone with my own thoughts. So that can be really challenging for sevens as well. And then finally, we have type six. And often sixes are a lot more aware of their fear than the other types in this intelligence center. Because from early on, they're really aware of like things are not maybe as they seem or things seem a little bit less stable than they seem or a little bit unpredictable. And so they really kind of do the both thing again. They go both directions. So whereas fives flee inward and sevens flee outward, sixes go whichever way the threat is not at the moment. And a lot of the time, sixes end up managing their fear by planning ahead and trying to be prepared and trying to make sure that they're not going to feel like caught off guard or or that they've thought through all the scenarios. But what ends up happening is that a lot of the time, sixes just end up spinning because there's so much in life that is unpredictable and difficult. And sixes are so incredibly intuitive and aware of all the different things that might happen. And it's not like they're always thinking about worst case scenario. It's just that they're always thinking about something else might happen that somebody else hasn't already thought of. And so they're really planning and and managing and thinking and processing all the time just to try to make sure that it doesn't go awry. So there are sixes who try to scare off their fear by conquering or moving toward whatever is making them feel a little bit afraid or uncertain. Sixes really don't like to feel uncertain, so they're always kind of seeking that sense of certainty. But when they are moving toward their fear, they can end up looking a little bit more like eights externally. But for eights, it comes from this energy or this intensity comes from a really grounded place. um, And it actually comes a little bit more from anger, not necessarily anger as an outward expression of the emotion, but just that sense of groundedness. And for sixes, it comes from a sense of fear that can be under the surface. So those are the three intelligence centers of the Enneagram. And I teach them in that order. Often when I work with organizations, I start with eight because one, I know a lot of the time eights are going to be the most ready to talk to me and to tell me, you know, how they see their type show up in their lives. But also because I think it really makes sense when you look at it that way, how they really work together and can kind of help people differentiate from some of the more tricky to parse types such as type nine and type two. That's a really common mistype, but it helps people to differentiate just a touch better. 
better. So I hope you enjoyed this video. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe because I'll be back with more Enneagram related videos and more any adjacent videos. This one's a little bit longer than normal, but it's because I really want to put out a few videos that are going to help you get the lay of the land with the Enneagram, especially if you're new to it. There is so much interesting stuff to learn. I would not even say that I know all the things about the Enneagram yet because there's so much to know. But I have been teaching this tool and coaching with it and working with organizations for five years now. And so there is a lot that I can share. And be, please be sure to leave a comment. Tell me what you liked or what was different or new from this video. And please tell me what you want to see a video on. I would love to hear your feedback. Thanks so much for watching. Hope you subscribe and see you in the next video. Thanks so much for listening to Enneagram IRL. If you loved the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. This is the easiest way to make sure new people find the show. And it's so helpful for a new podcast like this one. If you want to stay connected, sign up for my email list in the show notes or message me on Instagram at nine types co to tell me your one big takeaway from today's show. I'd love to hear from you. I know there are a million podcasts you could have been listening to, and I feel so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me. Can't wait to meet you right back here for another episode of Enneagram IRL very soon. The Enneagram in Real Life podcast is a production of Nine Types Co. LLC. It's created and produced by Stephanie Baron Hall with editing support from Brandon Hall and additional support from Crits Collaborations. Thanks to Dr. Dreamship for our amazing theme song. And you can also check out all of their music on Spotify.